Thank you for downloading this podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. You join us as we journey through the book of James. If you find these podcasts helpful and would like to know more about us, please visit our website, citychurchleads.net. We all turn to James chapter 3 to get your Bibles out, get your Bible apps open. Now, I'm not bringing the word this morning. We do have the amazing Jeff Newton bringing the word this morning. Let's give him a, a round of applause. But I'm going to read James chapter 3. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged by God with greater strictness. We all make many mistakes, but those who control their tongues can also control themselves in every other way. We can make a large horse turn around and go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a tiny rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot wants it to go, even though the winds are strong. So also, the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It is full of wickedness that can ruin your whole life. It can turn the entire course of your life into a blazing flame of destruction, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is an uncontrollable evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it breaks out into curses against those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a sprig of water bubble out with uh, both fresh water and bitter water? Can you pick olives from a fig tree or figs from a grapevine? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty pool. If you are wise and understand God's ways... Live a life of steady goodness, so that, you only, so that only good deeds will pour forth. And if you don't brag about the good you do, then you will be truly wise. But if you are jealous and there is selfish ambition in your hearts, don't brag about being wise. That's the worst kind of lie. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual are motivated by the devil. For wherever, wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, you'll find disorder and every kind of evil. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no partiality and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of goodness. Jeff, my friend, over to you. Well, let's just pray together. Let's everybody just close your eyes for a moment and just take in what's already been read. <clears throat> Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for a wonderful sense of your presence as we just worship you. And Father, I thank you for all the things that have already been said. And I just thank you for your word. Father, I just want to, as Mark was reading that, just, just struck me in my heart, Father, all those people who 
have been martyred in order for us to have your word. And Father, I just want to thank you for all those people over the centuries that gave their life because they knew the power of this book. And Father, I ask that in our generation we wouldn't be those that that dislodge the Bible from our faith, that decide to put aside or shun the Word of God as not hip or not trendy. But Father, I pray that we would realize that Your Word is very life to us. And Father, as we continue this study today, Father, I thank You that You want to open up Your Word afresh to us. You want to pour Your love into our hearts by Your Spirit. And You want to change our lives just a little bit more this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay. I want to pick up on particularly three passages in this chapter. Just a a word about the first verse uh, about teachers being under stricter judgment. When we talk about judgment, I just want you to say that judgment in God's eyes is always about deliverance. It's always about freedom. It's always about making things right. It's not about condemnation. It's not about punishment. It's about making things just and right. Okay? So when we talk about teachers being under stricter judgment, what the Word is saying is they're going to have more judgment than anybody else in the sense that they're going to be judged for their own walk, but also from what they teach others. So it's a double judgment in that sense. They're going to have to give an account for what they say in teaching as well as their own life. So that's why it's a stricter judgment. And, you know, that's something I feel a bit far away from you. Sorry, Ben, if I step on you, forgive me. Um, but I really believe that God wants us to know his heart through this book. You know, James was the brother of Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. He would have been in the home with Jesus. He actually didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. It's a bit of conjecture, but we're not sure. But certainly in Jesus' lifetime, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. But there was something about Jesus that was so amazing that eventually this man accepted that his brother that he grew up with day in, day out was the Son of God. And I think that's amazing. And James became a bastion of the New Testament church and became somebody who stood for the truth of the Word. And uh, I bet Jesus was very, very proud of him in the right sense for what he achieved. I want to look firstly at a few verses starting from verse 6 of James chapter 3. And it's this whole passage about the tongue. And I just want to make the statement, first of all, that the tongue is not tamed by natural means, but by the Holy Spirit. We're going to read a few verses here. Reread them. Verse 6 to verse 8. It says, I'm reading from the New King James Version. So if you haven't got the version, you may just want to listen. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and that it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. If you can tame your tongue, it says you're a perfect man. The word perfect there means mature. It doesn't mean that you are completely amazing in everything, but it means that there's a maturity with somebody who can speak what God wants them to speak and not just commentate on circumstances. In fact, Kate mentioned that this morning, that we don't want to just commentate on the circumstances. We don't want to use the mouth that God has given us to just commentate on what's out there, but we want to see what He sees and speak that forth into the earth. And I believe God wants us to be those that 
when we talk about taming the tongue, it's not so that you, you know, speak in a certain nice little way and that you're a nice little Christian. No, that this, this, this tongue that God has given you, this word that He's put within your heart is powerful. You know, with a word, God created the heavens and the earth. So when we talk about taming the tongue, we're not talking about necessarily talking about making it weak or timid, but we're actually saying it needs to be harnessed in the right direction. And when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, that for me, I personally believe is still a separate experience from new birth. When you receive the Holy Spirit at new birth, there's a separate experience of being baptized. The word there in Greek is immersed, to be immersed in the Holy Spirit fully. When that happens, something amazing, one of the things that happens when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit is that you speak in tongues. Is that right? Why? Because when the Holy Spirit comes into your life in such a demonstrable way, He takes hold of that tongue. And He wants to bring the rule of God into our lives. So the Holy Spirit speaks through us and He gives us this gift in order to speak. And as we speak in tongues and pray in tongues, we are bringing the governance of God to our lives. Sometimes we're bringing the governance of God in prayer and intercession to cities, to neighborhoods. Sometimes we don't know what we ought to pray, but when we start to pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit prays through us. And what's happening here is when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, He is harnessing the tongue into the right direction. Another thing the Holy Spirit does, Jesus says in two Gospels, He says that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, He will baptize you with the, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In the verse we've read from James, it says the tongue is a fire from hell. The only remedy of a fire from hell is a fire from heaven. The only antidote, the only thing that can extinguish the fire of hell speaking through you, from your heart, through your mouth, is the fire of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And I believe that God wants His church full of fire. It's interesting that tongues of fire came on the head in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came. There's something about a connection between the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what we say. We can see it right back if you rewind right to Genesis 1. You've got God speaking and the Holy Spirit brooding, getting ready to work with what's been said. But there's oftentimes as Christians, we say all sorts of stuff that the Holy Spirit just cannot work with. If we say negative things about ourselves, about other people, about the church, about the world, the Holy Spirit cannot operate through us with those words. But if we start to speak words of faith, words of life, words from the Scripture, words of peace, sow peace into situations, what happens? The Holy Spirit can start the birthing of creation through the words that we say. What a responsibility God has given you and me. That's a big responsibility, isn't it? In fact, I believe that the church is here to continue the creative work of God in the earth. So the first point is this, that the tongue is not tamed by natural means, but it's only harnessed by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, we need the work of the Holy Spirit. This fire that's from hell can be extinguished by a fire from heaven. The second thing I want to say is that the tongue is duplicitous. We see that in the book of James. We'll just read a couple more verses. Verse 9 to 11 in chapter 3. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. 
Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? You know, our tongue can be duplicitous because our heart can be duplicitous. What do I mean? Well, another expression of duplicity is basically not telling the truth, being a liar. And again, Kate, this morning, in a word she brought, said that we can either live out of a source that is life or live out of a source that is death. We can either live from the father of love or the father of lies. And everything that we take into our heart will eventually come out of our mouth. Everything we take into our heart and we let fester in our heart or bring life in our heart will come out of our mouths and it can produce. And our tongue needs to be cleansed from its tendency to be duplicitous. And the only way that will happen is if in our heart is cleansed. How many times do we read prayers all the way through the Scripture? God created me a clean heart, David said in Psalm 51. You know, it says in Romans 5 that God wants to pour the love of Jesus into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Why does He want to do that? Just so we feel nice? Well, that's part of it. I believe God wants us to feel good. Amen? But another part of it is this. Because when the love of God, when the love of Jesus comes into our hearts, when the nature of Jesus comes into our hearts, it's going to change our nature. It's going to change the way we think. It's going to change the way we act. It's going to change the way we're not subject to our feelings all the time, but we become subject to the Word of God. You know, God warns us in this chapter about duplicitousness and being two-faced in what we say and how we act. And, and why does He warn us about that? Because He wants you and I to be more and more like Him. We sang that this morning. If you notice how everything's fitting together, that's the Holy Spirit. And basically, God is saying, look, I don't want my people to be two-faced, to be divided of heart. In fact, in another place in this great book of James, James chapter 1, it says that a double-minded man receives nothing from the Lord and is unstable in all his ways. Double-minded is double-hearted. You can't separate in the, in the, in the mind of God and the heart of God the word mind and heart. To a Hebrew, they're the same word. Mind and heart are the same word. They're the core of who you are. And if we are double-hearted, if we are duplicitous of heart, then it's difficult to receive from the Lord. But God wants us to allow Him to love us to such a degree that we become single-hearted just like His Son. He wants us to be conformed to the image of His Son who set His face like flint and no matter what the opposition was going to get the job done on the cross, as Mark said today. Why does God not want us to be duplicitous? Because He isn't duplicitous. He's not two-faced. We know where we stand with God. Sometimes religion tells you you don't know where you stand with God. But let me say this to you. If, if God inspired, if the Holy Spirit inspired James to write and tell us to stop being duplicitous, to write and tell us to be those that don't bless and curse, guess why he wrote that? Because he was trying to reveal the fact that our God does not bless and then go ahead and curse. You know, there's these phrases across Christendom sometimes that come up now and again. Things like, you never know what God's going to do. Well, we can know pretty much what He's going to do if we get in here. And we ask the Holy Spirit. Phrases like, well, God can do anything. No, He can't. Doesn't it say, God cannot lie? God can do anything as long as it doesn't go against His own nature, which is love. You may say, well, what about this Old Testament passage where it shows that God did this or God did that? 
you know, I would love to have you all day. We'll get coffee, we'll get a roast, bring it in, and I'll share on that stuff because I think it's been misinterpreted for hundreds of years. But one thing I would say is this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3 says this. In times past, God spoke to us by the holy prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He's made the heir of all things, by whom He created the whole universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, upholding all things by the word of His power. Jesus is the exact representation of God. When you read about the life of Jesus in the Gospels, when you read about the continuation of the work of Jesus in the book of Acts and in the letters, what you're finding is the nature of God. Jesus came to reveal the Father. He came to reveal the nature of God. So no obscure scripture from the Old Testament can trump or become more important than the revelation of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. I was thinking, is there any reference in the New Testament to Jesus cursing anything? Well, He cursed a fig tree, but He never cursed a human being. He never put a sickness on somebody to, to say, well, you know, God wants to teach you through that. He healed and He set free. He never took a storm and put it over a town and said, I'm just doing that because I want you to learn the judgment of God. He went into town and preached the gospel. Healed the sick, cleansed the leper, cast out demons. And sometimes for some reason, we become duplicitous of heart where we believe in a God of love, but we also believe in this God that we're never know, not sure of what He's going to do. God wants you to be totally sure of who He is. He wants you to be totally sure of the way He's going to act towards you. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 says this, I am the Lord, I do not change. That is why you are not consumed. If I change, you may be, but I don't change. I'm consistent. You may have read a few weeks ago, whoever did James chapter 1, in James chapter 1 it says, verse 16 to 21, Do not be deceived. My beloved brothers and sisters, every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Beautiful. No variation. No shadow of turning. You can be secure to put your heart in God's hands and let Him heal and change your heart so that what comes out of your mouth becomes life and not death. Blessing and not curse. The third point I'd like to make is this, that wisdom from God's Word helps to change our heart. Wisdom from God's Word helps to change our heart. It helps to change our speech. It helps to change our life. Let's read a few more verses from this wonderful chapter. Again, let's read verse 13 from there. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Have you noticed here in a whole discourse about the tongue, James starts to speak about the heart. Why? Because Jesus says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The two are connected. What is this bitter envy and self-seeking in our hearts? Well, if you read on, as Mark read, it's a wisdom of this world. It's a demonic wisdom. It's the wisdom that says, trample over 15 people for you to get ahead. It's the wisdom that keeps a very small percentage. 
of people very, very rich and everybody else not very rich. It's the wisdom that says meritocracy. You, if you can get yourself up by your bootstraps and make something of yourself, then everybody would admire you. You know that's an orphan spirit? We are already something because we're sons of God. And if we live from that point of view, nothing is impossible for us to accomplish in life. And literally these two things that God is speaking about in our hearts, He's speaking about envy. He's speaking about self-seeking. Let me define those a bit more. <clears throat> Basically, envy can be defined as this. The propensity to constantly compare yourself with other people or compete with other people. God is happy with you. God's face smiles upon you. Look at Him. Don't look at somebody else. We have a race to run that's our race, not somebody else's race. And constant comparison and competition produces this envy, this turbulence, this storm on the inside of us that affects our life in a negative way and the life of those around us. The next word is self-seeking. And it literally is rooted in the word strife. And that's why I hate some of our silly little things in the English language that, that are supposed to be funny but can be so damaging. Things like this when you describe your wife as your trouble and strife. What an awful way to describe the woman of your, your dreams. Well, it's only a joke. Yeah, but as far as I read from my Bible, you're the master of the world. You're under the lordship of God to bring His rule in. Therefore, what we say has an effect in the physical realm. So this strife, how does it start in our heart? How does it, how is it birthed in our heart? Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 26.20 that without gossip, strife can't really exist. It says that a talebearer, somebody who gossips in a negative way, they stir up strife. Can you see that your words that you say can have a wonderfully positive effect, but also a terribly damaging and negative effect? Gossip is exaggerating about other people in a negative way. It's to give somebody an impression of somebody that will tint and taint their impression of them before they really know them. And where this gossip is there, where this untamed tongue gossip goes on, we have strife. And James says, coming back to the book of James, he says in that chapter that where there is strife, there is every kind of evil thing. Let me give you a quick definition of the word evil in, in James's mind as he's writing this. He's saying evil equals worthless. Good equals worthy. So where there's strife... There's just a lot of worthlessness. How does that manifest? Well, if there's strife or there's gossip, the people that are gossiped about feel a worthlessness. What, what are we doing here? If this is what they really think of us, what are we doing here? The person who receives that gossip and decides to act upon it becomes a little bit more unworthy in their integrity. So unworthiness comes. But then God's wisdom. It says in Ephesians, He's lavished His wisdom upon us. He's lavished His grace upon us with all wisdom. There is a grace, there is a wisdom from God in the pages of this Scripture. There is a wisdom from God that is the complete and utter antidote to every bit of envy, every bit of strife, 
every bit of negativity that the enemy, other people, or even yourselves, even close family have put on you throughout your life. The antidote is knowing the heart of God in the Word for you. Is knowing His heart towards you as His Spirit takes of what belongs to Jesus and makes it known to you. When you read the Gospels, don't you see Jesus having such confidence in the midst of terrible opposition? You know, why do we have opposition? Jesus says in John 16.33, you are in this world. That's why you have opposition. That's why you have trouble. Because you're in this world system right now. And you're here to change it. You're here to bring about heaven onto the earth. You're here to bring about my mind and my will and my heart to the people around you. But you will have trouble. But when Jesus had trouble, I mean, they tried to do all sorts of things to him. He started his first preaching session, first healing session, and they tried to throw him off a cliff. Not a good start. Could have got discouraged. When I read that scripture, I wonder how he even got through it. It says he walked right through them. That's a miracle in itself. How do you walk right through people when they're on the edge of a cliff trying to push you off? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of it, he knew who he was. And he knew his father loved him. Even before he did any mighty work, his father said over him, You are loved. And that's what we need to hear. More and more every single day. We need the wisdom from... It doesn't make sense. Why would God love us? When we think of the Christmas story, it doesn't make sense that He would become a baby to save us. It doesn't make sense that He would hang on a Roman object of torture to save us. It doesn't make sense to our natural, demonic, human wisdom. But it's the wisdom of God. And it can save us. It can change our hearts. And when we start to get in our hearts and speak it out of our mouth, it can change the world. I am concerned as I go around the church sometimes, especially in charismatic churches, where there's almost a a rebellion or a repellence against preaching and teaching of the Word of God or getting the Word of God together. The church is not a social club. The church has been bought with the precious blood of Jesus and is here to bring about heaven on earth, to extend His kingdom, to do mighty works where we are. And if we're going to do that, you're going to face opposition. You're going to face persecution. So it's important that we know who we are. We know that our Father loves us. And we know that when we speak, things can change. This wisdom is so beautiful. In the book of Proverbs, it talks about this wisdom. This wisdom being gained through the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 1, is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of knowledge. It says, but fools, verse 7, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You and I are not fools. You and I are not stupid people. You and I have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus and we're the sons of God. And as the writer in the Proverbs says, my son, do not reject your father's instruction. This still has the power to change hearts today when it's birthed in the Holy Spirit. You know, we're dealing with a generation, I'm certainly dealing with in the church I'm ministering, people who are adults who can't read. That we've become so entertainment focused, which is a weapon of mass distraction, that we've forgotten how to read. We've forgotten how to talk and interact socially with each other. Share ideas. Share thoughts. We've repelled into a virtual world. But even 
in that world, we are equipped to bring the message of the gospel. We are equipped to make a difference. We are equipped to speak the life of God. In conclusion then, let me say this to you. The state of our heart and our mouth affect our life, our family, our community and our world. Proverbs 18.21 says that life and death reside in the power of the tongue. That's quite a powerful statement if you think about it. That, re- that gives you an idea of the authority God has placed in you and me as his people. If what we say can bring life or what we say can bring death. When we speak death over people, when we speak worldly wisdom over people, when we speak worldly wisdom over each other, we generate, we generate in our hearts and in the hearts of others a competition culture, a comparison culture, a culture of strife. But when we start to speak the life of God over each other, we engender security in each other. We engender security in relationships. We engender compassion for others. We see beyond ourselves and our world and we have compassion for others when we receive His wisdom. I want to finish by saying to you today, what you're studying in this book, what I've said today, really has the power to change our lives. And I know you hear that every preacher says it, but it's true. Let me give you an example. 2007, we're in a a building we just renovated in Coventry. We're having evening meetings, and one lady came forward at the end. We just pray for people, for various things. A very tall, beautiful woman came forward to speak to me. She was African. And um, she came forward, but she looked really troubled. So I said, hi, how are you doing? And she said, can I just share something with you? So she started to share her problem. And her problem was this, that her brother, back in Rwanda, she was visiting family here. She was only here for a short time. Her brother, back in Rwanda, has been diagnosed with HIV. He's HIV positive. She started to cry. She didn't know what to do. She said, I just want her to come forward and I want you to pray for my brother. I just preached one of the, probably the best messages, so I thought it was the best message at the time and was really in faith. But when you hear something like that, <laughs> it really challenges you. Is our God bigger than the AIDS virus? Is our God big, bigger than some of the things we face in 21st century culture? That moment, there was a decision to be made. I prayed a prayer. It was a very good prayer. But it, it wasn't from my heart. It's not that I, I didn't want to pray from my heart. It was just really going through the motions. I really needed to hear from the Holy Spirit. But you know, God is so gracious, isn't he? And as I was praying, I just was reminded of a story from the Bible, from the book of Acts. And in that story, it says that Paul took his handkerchiefs from his daily work and he sent them out. And just by the handkerchief being placed on somebody, they were healed or a demon was cast out. I just remembered that story because I'd read it in the Word. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of the wisdom I'd read in the Word. If I hadn't read that in the Word, if I'd thought this wasn't even relevant to my life and just put it on the shelf, 
I would have never known that story and the Holy Spirit would have had nothing to work with. But in the midst of my weakness, he had a midst of my foolishness, trying to pray a prayer when I wasn't even sure I could believe that there would be a healing. In the midst of my foolishness, God's wisdom came in from a story. And I, this story was imprinted on my heart, in my mind. And I always have a handkerchief with me because I'm, I'm very sweaty. I sweat more than anybody else. I can, I can sweat when it's minus one. So I always have a handkerchief with me, especially when I'm speaking. I had a handkerchief on the lectern. And before I could think about it, before I could process it in my intellect and have five intellectual voices saying, don't do this, this could be a big mess, I took the handkerchief and said, put this on your brother when you get home. He'll be healed. I've never done it since. I've never made a ministry out of it. I've got a magazine about it, giving away miracle sweaty handkerchiefs. Never done any of that. It was just the one moment when the Word and the Spirit produce life. You know what's coming. I got her a message from her two months later when she got home. She told me that he went for another test. He was HIV positive and now he's HIV negative because of the power of God, the power of Jesus, the wisdom of God. And it's important how we tell testimonies because I was weak and foolish in the midst of that testimony, but his wisdom and his Holy Spirit was enough. The only thing I did was read this. That gave God an opportunity to speak through me. Would you stand with me? Just close your eyes in His presence. Father, I thank You that Your Word says that each believer is a priest and a king. Thank You that Your Word says that each believer has a high priest. His name is Jesus in the order of Melchizedek. Thank You, thank you Father, that, that our high priest, the Lord Jesus, didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. He didn't come to steal and kill and destroy, but He came to bring life and the life that You live, Father. And Father, I thank You that we continue that priestly ministry as believers. Each one of us, the priesthood of all believers, the royal priesthood, a holy nation of chosen people, a people belonging to God, here to proclaim the excellences of Him that called them. Father, I want to pledge myself again and this community and the community I lead again to the service of proclaiming Your excellencies. To the service of proclaiming Your wisdom in the midst of the foolishness of this world. And no matter if we're seen as extremists, or fanatics, or persecuted for our faith, Father, let the boldness arise on the inside of us that we are loved by You. And if Your love is in us, we cannot fail. Father, I thank You that that priesthood is here to be a dispenser of absolute indestructible life. So Father, I pray right now over Your people, right now by Your Spirit, each one right now that's willing to receive, will receive a fresh impartation of Your life, of Your Zoe life, Your uncreated life right now. They'd receive right where they stand a fresh impartation of Your life. And their fresh impartation of Your love. Lord, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt going out of this room today that they are loved and they're full of life and they're here to give it away. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Bless you guys.